I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. This morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 18, and we'll be going through the end of the chapter. You know, Peter, through this entire section that we've been working through, especially since uh, chapter 2, around verse 18 or so, Peter's been dealing with something very practical in the lives of believers. What do you do as a believer when following Christ makes things difficult uh, in your life? What, what do you do when you, you face, as a result of, of, of following Christ, of doing the things that we, uh, we're taught in the, in the Word and you continue in this way, when you face uh, contempt or people who don't like you, maybe rejection, any kind of suffering on account of your allegiance to Christ. Now, Peter's answer up to this point has been uh, that you persevere in doing good, as God defines good, uh, that you continue in it, that you not, and he's, he's talked about different uh, areas of our lives, that you not retaliate. Uh, when, in other words, take things into your own hands uh, when people act against you in certain ways, that you submit to the authorities, the God-given authorities over you, even when it means suffering unjustly. And we've talked about the caveats there. And then last week, uh, we saw that as you're living, as you're doing these things, that, that you must always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. In other words, uh, seek to share the gospel. Be ready to share the gospel at all times. Uh, now, Peter's encouragement for doing this has been that we know whose we are in the Lord. Uh, that we know what has happened to us. And that we set our hope upon the Lord. Uh, he, in a number of ways, even from the very beginning, the first chapter, he has set our eyes upon the, the, the hope that lies ahead for those who are in Christ. And so he's been calling for us to live by faith and not by sight, which we see, of course, many other places in, in Scripture, and therefore to persevere through rejection, through suffering, uh, even though we know that following Christ at times will cause us to stand out as different uh, in this world, calls us to stand out even like a sore thumb, uh, not to be always liked by those around us. Now, today's passage gives us, it continues in the same vein, and it gives us greater encouragement uh, that's needed for perseverance uh, as we live the Christian life. In fact, I would say it gives us the greatest encouragement because he tells us here to look to Christ into what he has already done for us. Uh, now, this is a challenging passage that we're looking at this morning. Uh, in many ways, uh, or in many parts of it, uh, the, these are, uh, these are pass or this is a passage that people have struggled with over the centuries of the church. And so it's led to many different interpretations. Uh, it looks back to the early chapters of Genesis, the part that we just talked about with uh, Noah and the flood. And it also contains a challenging passage or statement about baptism. 
so there are some challenges in this passage. But I think if you keep in mind what I just spoke about the context of this passage and what Peter is really trying to, what, what he longs to get across to, to, to the people that he's addressing, therefore to us, then I think we can see and understand the arguments in this passage with greater clarity, even though we'll need to do it with humility at the same time. But I will say, I, I believe that this passage has great immediate application for our lives today uh, as well. Uh, so again, 1 Peter chapter 3 begins in verse 18. I'm going to read verse 17 just to give us a little bit of context. Verse 17, Peter says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Please join me as we look to the Lord for help. Father, we thank you for this word, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus uh, and for what we can know that Jesus has done. And, and all, there's one message all the way through pointing to Christ and the, the work that he's done and, and what we receive internally when we come to faith in Christ. And therefore, what we're able to know in this life as we live our lives that, that, that paves the way, that helps us uh, as we struggle. Uh, with living in a right way uh, as you instruct us. Yet we need help uh, with solidifying that. And this passage is there to help us with that. Yet there are some challenging things here. Uh, challenging things that even through the, uh, the, the many years of the church uh, have not been able to be seen clearly uh, by all necessarily. And so, uh, Father, we, we do pray for your help. We pray that uh, you will help us to have humility where humility is needed and to have confidence where confidence is right, where we are able to have it. We pray for the work of your Holy Spirit inside of us to open our eyes and to take this and to apply this to our lives that we might, uh, Lord, uh, cling more, more readily to you and, and live with greater confidence uh, as you uh, have provided for us too. We thank you and pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you may or may not know that there is a, a rather popular football game that uh, is going to be played later on today.
Uh, it's one of those things that comes around every year and uh, has a lot of, if I can use the word hoopla, around it. Uh, there's also a lot of money involved in this game. There's also a lot of money involved in this game. But it really is, when you boil it down, this, this great game that so many talk about, uh, it's, it's a contest between two teams. And, you know, I think for most people uh, who watch it, uh, even for those who might be semi-regular fans of the teams that are going to be in this game, uh, most of those people won't be tremendously affected by the outcome. Uh, maybe excited, maybe for a couple of days, a week or so, there'll be uh, some, some happiness there, uh, joy in the heart, but uh, not tremendously affected in their lives. But if you think about those, for a game like this, that's, that's big, those who are on the field and for their families uh, there at the game, their lives will be tremendously affected because if you're on the side of victory in a game like this, uh, it means a lot. If you're on the side of victory, just, just think about how uh, some of those in this game, men and families, look back upon the challenges that they faced in getting there. Uh, maybe not just over the past year, but over the past five, ten years, maybe for their entire lives, and how some might even be willing to say, you know what, it was all worth it. All the, the, any of the suffering that was there, the pain that was there, they might be willing to say it was all worth it. Why? Because they would say that victory matters especially when it comes to the big things in life. Victory matters. And it is true, not just in that game, but in life. Victory matters. And that's, that's really what, what Peter is bringing out here to encourage believers in something that's far bigger than a Super Bowl game. Uh, Peter's just been speaking about the suffering that believers face in this world as they follow Christ. And he's not been speaking theoretically here. Uh, these, the, the, the people that he's writing to really have been facing this. Uh, it, it's clear in the way he's writing to them that they have been criticized. They've been slandered because they follow Christ. And here, Peter is encouraging them by pointing them to what Christ has already done. Uh, remember, he, he did that back in chapter 2. Uh, he said back in chapter 2, to this you've been called. And he was speaking about suffering at the time. To this you've been called. Uh, this is, this is God-ordained for you because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Now there, he was especially pointing to the example that Christ left, and, and that's how he was encouraging them to, to follow that, that path, that, that example that Christ set before them. Now here he's going to do something very similar. He, he's encouraging them again by pointing to what Christ has done, but he's going to go beyond that especially and set their eyes upon victory, upon the victory that Christ has achieved and that's already assured 
and therefore that they can call their victory. Um, now, I want us at the outset as we approach this, uh, this passage to recognize that, that Peter is not sugarcoating things here. He's saying that it really is true that as you follow Christ, that there will be in your life, there will be suffering. There will be challenges that are there. You, you will face in some senses, and it's going to be different for different people, different circumstances, but rejection. Uh, there will be people looking down on you. Uh, there, there will be an inability for most to be in the in crowd, whatever that in crowd might be. Uh, the type of suffering that believers are going to face and the ways that they must stand out uh, and be different in the culture in which they live. It's going to be different, different contexts, as I said. Uh, but we've, we've got to face it that we are involved, we're engaged in a kingdom conflict. Uh, and so therefore, by definition, we're going to face difficulty. We are going to face suffering. For younger people, uh, it may mean that you've got to make, or it will mean, that you've got to make hard decisions when it comes to the friends that you have uh, close relationships, that you have difficult decisions, decisions that you may not want to make internally, uh, but especially as you grow and as you come closer to marriage, the person that you look to marry. Uh, again, there are difficult, there are challenges that are there. Your approach to, and this is for all of us, your approach to material things uh, and how and whether our, our hearts grab onto material things. The, the temptation is always there, isn't it, to compromise. You know, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. So you're kind of straddling. Uh, but we can see it's clear in, in Peter's preaching here in this letter. It's clear that we can't do that, that we must be dedicated to Christ. You can go to the, the gospel accounts and you can see it clearly there. Jesus makes it plain. Uh, set your hand on the plow. You must not look back. Don't fall to that temptation. So the question is how? <laughs> these challenges, these difficulties, how do we do that? What is our motive for living by faith in this world when we're facing those kinds of challenges? And the answer is one thing. We talked about it last week. One thing, the gospel. The gospel itself. I'm, I'm not minimizing all the other helps and resources that the Lord has given us uh, that, that are external to us, but internally it's one thing. It is the gospel. And you know when you come to more and more see the gospel and, and know the gospel for yourself and know, therefore, who Christ is, and what he has done, and, and know that it's true and be convicted inside. It changes how you live your life. It changes how you face the difficulties, the struggles that are there. And you come to realize, ultimately, internally, there's nothing else really that you need. You know, Peter has been saying to this people, you may be facing suffering, you may be facing rejection in this world, uh, you may feel like you're standing out like a sore thumb, thumb on account of following Christ. But look to Christ himself. Uh, look at verse 18 there. 
In verse 18, chapter 3, uh, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sin. Now, he, you too, you're, you're suffering, you're called to suffering, he says in the prior verse. Uh, but Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous is Jesus himself. The unrighteous, that's us. And so here he's speaking about a substitution. The righteous substituted for the unrighteous. Once for sin, all of your sin taken care of, that he might bring us to God. You know, there are going to be those uh, may even hear the gospel many times. But they will never look at the bigger picture. They don't care about the bigger picture. They'll live on their own terms. All they care about is the here and now. But for believers, the bigger picture is everything. Why are we here? What has God done? And, and, and to be able to look back and say, this is who I was before. And that's what Peter's bringing out here. You were the unrighteous. Uh, and, and then who are we now? Who are we today in Christ? Uh, so we, we were, Peter says, the unrighteous. You, you were uh, those, even though made by God, even though every breath comes from God, uh, you were ungrateful toward the one who made you and, and you continued in your rebellion against him. Brings to mind that uh, passage in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, all. But what Peter's pointing out here and bringing out is God's mercy. We are undeserving, and yet he suffered for us. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous Christ for the unrighteous, us. Uh, and not only that, he's talking about his death, his suffering and his death. Some uh, translations make that clear. They put death in there. Uh, but Christ also suffered once for sins. It's complete. It's done. Uh, it's a work that he, he, he has already done. His sacrifice is complete. All of your sins, in fact, all future sins, already atoned for. Uh, in the prior chapter, he said, by his wounds, uh, you have been healed. Past tense, done, complete. It's a wonderful sense of what Christ has done. Why? Why did he do it? He says that he might bring, you, bring us to God. He's talking about the state that we're in. That he might bring us to God. That we might, we who were completely estranged from God, might now be brought to God. That, that's uh, his argument here. That we might be saved. That we might have eternal life. That's his argument. And it is a motive. And it is a comfort uh, for Christians who are going through their lives. And... And, and needing that motive and that comfort as they live through challenging uh, uh, suffering and difficulties that people that may stand against them, circumstances. Yet he doesn't leave it there, notice. It's not the end of the gospel. Peter goes on to complete the picture. He's going to go on to say, you must persevere in Christ uh, because... Of his resurrection. That's verse 21. And you must persevere uh, because Christ 
by his, not just resurrection, but by his ascension into heaven. That's verse 22. Has achieved victory over the enemies that we face in this world and all of those who are aligned with them. Enemies that, by the way, he will ultimately bring to destruction. Now, that is good news. That is good news where we live, uh, where we daily spend our lives. Because he's pointing to victory. You know, if you're in the big game, the ultimate contest, there are only a few in that big game uh, that are going to be there. When you experience victory, though, in that kind of a game, just imagine what it's like to look back from the seat of victory and to see uh, all that you've been through and to be able to say, it was all worth it. Doesn't matter. Whatever it was, it was worth it. But for believers, we are able to know now in whatever we face today, looking ahead, that the victory is already ours, that it's assured, uh, that even with that which we struggle so mightily against today, that the enemies have already been conquered. Uh, we need to struggle with them today. One day they will be completely destroyed. And this is something that we need a reminder of daily, isn't it? So that we will not compromise. So that we will not fall back. Because it's easier, isn't it, when we compromise. It makes life easier. But we need this, this knowledge in our heart and mind. Uh, this work of the Holy Spirit inside of us to convict us. So that we, we live daily out of that knowledge. Uh, now this is the picture of Christ's victory. And therefore our victory. Uh, over the enemies that we face in this world. That, that Peter's pointing to. And it's drawn out in this passage in a couple of different ways. One of those is uh, using a major Old Testament event. That of Noah. Flood. And of his salvation and his vindication, I, I might want to use the word his deliverance and vindication. We are able, by, by looking back uh, to Noah, to better understand Jesus' victory over sin and death and over his enemies in a way that should help us, that should encourage us. Now, as I sort of hinted at before, and I guess I stated before, this passage has been one of the most debated uh, passages, especially in the New Testament, through the entirety of, uh, of the church. Now, here's what Martin Luther had to say about it. He, he, and he was speaking specifically about this text. And he said, this is a strange text. It's certainly a more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament. I still do not know for sure what the apostle meant. Now, of course, uh, Martin Luther continued forward and he, he broke down the passage and he came to a, a conclusion that he thought was right. But that was his statement about it. I, I think this is just a reminder as we go through God's word that not all of it is given to us with the same clarity. Uh, there are some passages that are, are more obscure, that are more challenging. There are some that are far more clear uh, Scripture, though, got to make the point, there's a statement in our, our confession that says this, that Scripture possesses an amazing clarity, especially in all the things that need to be known for 
salvation. Amazing clarity that it says that the unlearned as well as the learned are able in a due use of, of the right means to come to. Um, so we need to keep that in mind. But, but also we have these more obscure passages, but they too are scripture and they're given to us to be of help to us. And so as we look at this, there are a couple of rules of interpretation I want to give to us. We should use this in anything that we're we're reading, any passage that we're trying to understand, but it's especially important here. The first is to observe how critical context is. You probably know what I'm going to say. Context, context, context. It's critical to understand the context of the passage itself, of the book, of the writer, uh, and you can get larger, of, of the New Testament. Uh, so what is the context? The second is to, to interpret and to understand more obscure passages of Scripture using other passages that speak more clearly. In other words, uh, you could put it this way, be wary if your interpretation isn't made clear elsewhere in scripture and so what i'd like to do very briefly is to mention three interpretations of this uh especially verses um uh, 19 and 20 but 18 19 20 uh three interpretations that are are more popular of, of the many that have been made the first i believe has significant problems with it uh, even though it's been around for some time. Uh, the second and the third, even though they differ, they both appear to fit within the context, and at least to some extent with other passages of Scripture. Um, now, in, in each of these, there are some key questions that need to be asked. Uh, look with me at verse 19. Key questions, especially in verse uh, 19. Now, just just before 19, says that... Um, that Christ being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. And then verse 19, in which he, Christ, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. It goes on from there. So, so a couple of key questions. Where did Christ go? Uh, when did he go? To whom did he go? What did he proclaim? So, all of these, these are key questions that need to be answered. Uh, where did he go? When did he go there? To whom was he speaking? What did he proclaim? The first interpretation is one that uh, some have applied to that line that we uh, recited earlier, read earlier in the uh, Apostles' Creed. He, Christ, descended into hell. Uh, and this is one of, of two places, but especially here, that people uh, get this from, where, where it's, it's a view that between Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection, that's when, that he descended into hell. Uh, and he preached to the spirits of those who had perished in the flood during the time of, of Noah with most who hold to this, believing that it was the gospel that he preached to them, giving them another chance to repent. Now, these are those who, you go back, who were rebellious against Noah and who remained rebellious, who died in that state. Uh, now, 
Here they are dead, they're in hell, but uh, Jesus is preaching to them. Now this has a number of problems, I, I believe, uh, many believe, but the, the main one among those is that it conflicts with a number of passages in Scripture, uh, such as Hebrews 9.27 that says, Man is appointed once to die, and then comes judgment. Uh, we don't have uh, places in Scripture, other places that, that tell us that men or women receive a second chance. It's We live this life. This is it. Uh, we are either in Christ or we're we're not. So that's we're going to kind of set that aside for a moment and say uh, that's got some significant problems. A second interpretation is held by Augustine, many of the, the, the others throughout uh, church history. Uh, it's one that I have held to, uh, I continue to, to hold on to, although the one I'll mention in a moment, now I see that, I understand it, uh, I, I, I could receive that one as well, but uh, this one is that the proclamation, that Christ's proclamation took place during Noah's time, and it took place through Noah, that Christ spoke through Noah. Now, in 2 Peter, uh, Peter calls Noah a herald of righteousness. In other words, a preacher of righteousness. Uh, and, and this one holds that, that uh, Noah was preaching to a rebellious people, to all the masses of people that were there, through his actions in his building of the ark and using words uh, as well as he proclaimed to them the promises of God, uh, a call to repent from their evil ways and to trust in the Lord. And, he, and that he would provide them with uh, deliverance um, and that they would be, uh, therefore, Saved. In this view, they remained in rebellion and they are now spirits in prison reserved for eternal punishment. Um, a third interpretation. This one's newer, uh, more popular today. I think it's, it has a lot going uh, for it. I've had a chance to look at it a little further now. But that is that uh, the spirits in prison that Christ was preaching to are actually fallen angels. And Peter is saying here that in Christ's ascension, uh, for this you can look down at verse uh, 22, that in Christ's ascension, uh, as he, he, the ascension is, he rises up into heaven, he sits at the right hand of God the Father, a place of power and authority, and that in that place, that he then goes and proclaims victory over, and you look at verse 22, over the angels, the authorities, the powers, uh, that they are now in subjection uh, to him. Vindicating the faith of his followers on earth, just as Noah's faith was vindicated by the flood. There's the connection uh, with Noah. Now, either of these, and we're not spending a lot of time on these, but either of these last two interpretations seem very possible. Uh, both of them seem to match the context, and they seem to fit. Uh, there are other passages of Scripture that are aligned with them as well. But regardless of which one you choose, think for a moment about what Peter is saying about Noah and about what happened to him. Remember that uh, throughout this, uh, the, the passage, Peter has been encouraging Christians who are standing out in the culture in which, they're, in which they live. 
They're standing out as different. And they're, they're suffering because of that. Uh, he, he's encouraging them. That's his task. That's what he's about. Uh, and that's something that's true of us today. That as we live according to God's word, we will stand out in, in the culture around us. Uh, if you know, For those of us who have children, we're instructing them how... Uh, to live, what to do, what not to do, how to act around others. It it doesn't take long before you see. Uh, We're calling them to something that is difficult. It's not easy with all the voices in the world that are are calling to them. But the same is true at any stage of life for us. And I think it's true more and more in the culture in which we live. Even within the church itself, as I've pointed out in the past uh, couple of weeks, much of the church has kind of gone along with the, the culture more and more. And so when you follow Christ, even in that sense, uh, you need encouragement. Now think about Noah and his family. Noah had trusted in the Lord. He was called a righteous man, therefore. Uh, he, he, he walked in obedience to the Lord. There had been no rain. And there, there was no rain at all. And yet he built. And if you have seen or seen a picture of that replica ark that's in Kentucky, uh, then you'll know that his work was not hidden. That Noah stood out like a sore thumb. And no doubt, in his actions and in his words, he was saying, there was a proclamation that was going forth, that man was wicked uh, throughout all of the earth but that God was patiently withholding his judgment. And he was calling to them to turn from their wicked ways and to trust in his promises just as Noah was trusting in the promises of God. And in his mercy and in his grace, he would save them. That's the message of the gospel, isn't it? That's the message that people need to hear today. Now, you can only imagine the ridicule and the slander Uh, that Noah uh, must have endured as he was building this cross, uh, I'm sorry, building his his ark uh, over all of those years. And I also think no converts. Uh, Nobody else joined he and his family in the ark. We can also imagine that day of vindication uh, when the rains came. The waters fell, the ark rose, and the same waters of that flood that brought judgment throughout the the, the land upon the earth was the same waters that brought deliverance to Noah and his family. If you think about it, the judgment of death in the flood that's pictured here is the same judgment that Christ suffered for us in his, his suffering, his death for us. Uh, the waters that, are, that, that picture, uh, the waters here picture the salvation of God, while at the same time they're picturing the judgment of God. And the same is true with Christ and what he has suffered for us. That's what he has done for us. And in him... We have salvation and we have victory at the same time. Victory over the enemies of God. Victory over those who would would pull us down, who would keep us here. 
uh, keep us apart from God. You know, we can look back to Noah and we can see this picture of the ark and we see the waters rising and we can, we can see the suffering and, and, and the rejection that he must have undergone. And we can know as, as we live our lives daily, facing difficulties, uh, standing out at times in, in ways that maybe we'd rather not, but we can know that in Christ, we have both salvation and we have that victory over our enemies. Uh, that's drawn out for us here. It's the first way of this passage pictures Christ's victory, our victory over our enemies. Second way is through the sacrament of baptism that Christ has instituted uh, for us. And you know, it's, it's through knowing that we are baptized and understanding what that baptism means, that we have sealed for us, that word sealed, another way of saying assurance, certainty of our union with, with Christ and our participation in his victory. That's what Peter is saying here. Uh, remember that when he was describing Noah and the flood, that uh, in, in picturing that uh, with Noah and his family, uh, we pointed to the flood waters as the means by which Noah was saved. And here in verse 21, uh, Peter is making an analogy. He's looking back to that and he's saying in the same way that Noah was saved through water. Now look at uh, verse 21. The same way that Noah was saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, in other words, you know, to, to the water. He's talking about the waters of baptism now saves you. Peter wants us to recognize here the salvation that we have from another realm, from, from another perspective, uh, and, and it's in that of baptism. He wants to bring it home to us that we can know in a greater way day after day and be convicted inside that this is truly ours. And, and so he says something shocking. Uh, if you know that you've been baptized with water, if you know this, uh, whether it was as, as a child, as an infant, or as an adult, uh, then just as Noah knew by the waters that were surrounding him that he'd been saved, then you can know also that you've been saved. Because baptism is the thing that saves you. That's what he says. Now I realize as I say that, there are some who are itching to, to raise your hand and say, wait a second. <laughs> uh, that can't be. Outward baptism doesn't save you. It's never saved anybody. If you say that, you're right. Uh, but fortunately, Peter was, was quick to try to prevent any misunderstanding on this. Uh, notice... What he says in verse 21, right after that, he says, baptism now saves you. Then he says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. He's saying, I'm not just speaking about the outward act of baptism, not just water upon skin. All that's going to do is remove dirt from the body. That's not just, that's not it. Uh, but he says, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter says that the importance of the outward sign of baptism is what it's pointing to inwardly. 
That a person has experienced this inward change, a, a, a regeneration. Their, their conscience has been renewed so that they desire what is good and righteous. And they desire the Lord. They could not do that. They weren't there before. But that is the work that God does within. Now, I think it's important for us to see here that the outward sign, which is the sign of, of baptism is the sign of the covenant of our relationship with God. This outward sign is assumed by Peter to go together with the inward reality. Uh, if someone just has the outward sign, they don't have the inward reality, there's a sense in, with it, in which that's, that's fraudulent because they're saying outwardly, uh, yes, uh, they're professing faith. They don't have that inward. There's been no true following, no true... Uh, uh, belief receiving. Now think about the other hand, if someone has the inward reality, but doesn't have that outward sign, well, there's a problem there too. It's not as big a problem, but there's a problem there too, because there's, we're called to do this by obedience. There's a lack of obedience. And so surely they're going to continue forward and, and be, be baptized. And so when Peter says baptism saves you, he, he says this because both the sign and the thing that it's pointing to, the inward change, uh, regeneration, the, the washing away of sins, renewal, are so closely aligned with one another that they go together. And he wants us to see that. And he wants us to, to go on and to see that baptism saves you because it's grounded in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the follow-on, in his ascension into heaven. And, and, and baptism serves not only as a sign, uh, and that's usually how we think about baptism. In fact, that's usually how we think about the Lord's Supper. It's similar in this way. Not only as a sign, but also as a, a seal. You think about an envelope that has uh, like a red splotch of, of wax on it to show that it hadn't been broken. It gives a sense of, assurance of affirmation. Uh, in fact, in this sense, the assurance that we receive as we think about our baptism, recognize what has happened to us outwardly, see the connection uh, in uh, what it means inwardly. The Holy Spirit does a work within us as we see that uh, to bring affirmation, to bring confirmation so that we're convicted inside. This is truly mine. I truly belong to the Lord. And not only that, but in Him, He has risen from the dead. And therefore, I too, who am with Him, have risen from the dead and have that, that victory that He has. It belongs to me. Uh, the enemies of God conquered. Remember that passage that we read earlier out of Romans chapter 6, where, where Peter was saying, almost exclaiming to the people, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, this is outward, were baptized into his death. He's speaking inward. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You know, in the sacrament of baptism it, you may think about it it takes place once <laughs> you know and it may have been when we we don't remember it uh, yet 
The Lord has provided it to us that we might think upon it often and know that if the water of baptism has, has been given to us, that we might have in our hearts this, this ever-growing, ever-greater assurance, uh, this conviction inside that I am His and He is mine, that, that I have true salvation, that I am yoked to Christ, and I have victory in Christ. Now, you can imagine the difference between a person who's living their lives with a doubt inside, and they're trying to follow the Word, perhaps, but, uh, but, but, but there's this doubt that creeps in constantly. Uh, I, you know, maybe I'm, I, I'm, I'm not His. Maybe I, I, I don't belong. Uh, think about them living their lives and another person who lives daily knowing for certain about their union with Christ and that it's, that it's theirs. That's what Peter is getting to here. There's a complete difference in the way that we live our lives and in the way that we're able to more and more, when things get difficult, to set aside that which is apart from God, that which is against God, and live for that which is of God. Uh, more and more. Uh, and that's, that's what he's getting through to all the way through. Uh, as he calls us here to look to Christ, uh, to look to him in his suffering and in his death, in his substitution for us, and in his victory uh, over sin and death, and to realize that that is ours in Christ, and then to, to live out of that. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, that we can do that, that we can look to Christ. And thank you that in your word, that you have given us this instruction, even though in some places like this chapter that we're going, or this passage today, uh, there, there's a challenge there. And yet all the way through, it's still shining that same message to us, that it is in Christ that we have all things. It's in Him that we are able to have confidence, that we are able to live. I, I pray that you will help us with that. Help us to increase our confidence with which we live daily. Help us to be able to live more and more boldly in our lives as we're convicted inside and we know the Savior and as we live out of that. Uh, Father, help us to have a right view of the world in which we live, therefore, of the bigger picture. Uh, and to, to, to constantly uh, recognize who we are and whose we are. Uh, we pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.